For the Craft Podcast, I'm Michael Rogg. The Craft Podcast serves the community of designers, business people, content creators, and web developers who use the Craft Content Management System to build great products and experiences on the web. With this podcast, we are aiming to quite literally give a voice to the Craft CMS community to bring you relevant news, to answer your questions and help develop your skills, and to celebrate the awesome things you're accomplishing with Craft in your tool belt. Today's topic is SEO, and I am joined for this episode by a good friend of mine, Mr. Andrew Welch. Andrew, tell us about yourself. Michael, thanks for having me on. Um, so, obviously, name's Andrew Welch, work at uh, NY Studio 107, uh, and we primarily help businesses use technology to grow their businesses. Um, and we use uh, Craft CMS as a platform for that when a web presence makes sense. And uh, search engine optimization, which is what SEO is, is definitely a big part of that. Great. Well, thanks for being with us. Um, I guess we should start off uh, just talking really briefly. Um, Everybody has heard of SEO, but I feel like a lot of people, myself included, are not nearly as educated as they ought to be. So where does SEO start? What's the the crux of it? So I think the real crux... um, of SEO is that people uh, and whatever they're selling or whatever their business is selling, they want to be found. And, uh, you know, as we've discussed previously, um, you can have the best product in the world, but if no one knows about it, what's the point? Um, They're just not going to find it. There was a huge boom in SEO businesses probably about 10 years ago. I will have to say that a lot of the quote-unquote SEO marketing firms are snake oil salesmen. Uh, a lot of the stuff that they put out is just, it, it's garbage, quite frankly. And the interesting thing is that a lot of the things that the SEO companies were doing was essentially gaming uh, Google. Because uh, let's be honest, Google is really the player that, that counts in this space. And Google made a bunch of adjustments to their search engine that that the the snake oil salesman can't really get away with gaming the system anymore. It just doesn't really work that way. And Google really does reward good content and good visibility and good SEO these days. And you can't just dump a whole bunch of keywords into your HTML and assume that uh, that Google is going to then pick it up. That's just not how it works anymore. Yeah, I feel like SEO just as a buzzword, got a really bad name in the early days of SEO being a buzzword. And speaking from my own experience, I think I sort of swung to the opposite extreme once people started talking about SEO is just a bunch of tricks to game the system. And if you do it, you're going to get sandboxed or blacklisted. Um, and so I, I, I think I just said, fine, then I'm not going to touch it. And I'm just going to try to write nice clean markup that Google will read and I'm going to try to have nice clean content and other than just doing what I'm already doing in terms of writing good code, I just don't want to have anything to do with SEO. And I uh, that obviously was was too extreme, but I feel like a lot of our industry sort of was scared of SEO for the longest time and then transitioned, I think, to being intimidated by SEO once we started realizing, okay, actually this is a very good and necessary thing that we should optimize our sites for being searchable and findable, but now the space is just too big and I don't know where to start. You yourself are, uh, timeline-wise, a relative newcomer, you told me, to to SEO. You kind of just went all in and soaked it all up and learned everything you could. But I'm hoping that you can kind of speak to me and others who are intimidated by the space and just kind of don't know where to start. How did you start looking into this topic? Well, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I've been in the, the software business and selling stuff online for longer than I want to admit, a very long time. Um, So I I have been familiar with uh, SEO over the years, but you're right that I really dove into it probably really seriously, probably two or three years ago. Um, I will say that you you made a fair point that SEO did get a bad rap and it, it got a bad rap for a reason because there were a lot of firms out there that were attempting to just scam the system. And as I mentioned before, you really can't do that anymore. And your methodology of just writing clean code, making sure that your HTML validates, making sure that the content is good and unique, um, that is definitely... A, a good base uh, for having an SEO strategy. Um, but there's 
a whole lot more that you can do with it. One thing I will tell you is that SEO is not a silver bullet. Uh, it's not that you just implement uh, a good SEO strategy and instantly your website is going to become the most popular in the world. That's just not how it works. I look at it as being able to do everything as best as you possibly can to give it the potential to be extremely popular. Um, in other words, doing a proper SEO implementation doesn't mean that your site is automatically going to be ranked super high, but, but it does mean that it has the potential to be ranked uh, very well. And why not give your clients all the advantages that you possibly can in terms of, you know, they're building a website, presumably to sell another product or service. They definitely want people to be able to know about it. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I think this topic belongs very cozily on the craft podcast even though seo is not specific to craft the cms or to craft commerce or to craft developers but our community is a community of folks who like to really really take their stuff all the way and hit all of the best practices and really craft a project that is using all of the best tools and the best practices and uh, you know we like to give our work customers, our clients, you know, the, the best product and the best shot at success. Uh, and so I think that, that you've actually nailed the reason why this topic is is very relevant. Yeah. And I, I probably take that to an extreme because I everything that I produce, I run it through a battery of tests, including a whole ton of SEO tests to see how well it's doing. And I think that it is, you know, maybe SEO is intimidating, uh, as you mentioned earlier to some people, but there are some basic things that you can uh, do and take care of to ensure that your site is going to be decently optimized for SEO. And it's really not that hard. And let me give you a a couple of examples that surprise people uh, to one extent or another. The first is uh, Google has a measurement tool called Google PageSpeed Insights. Plug in a website, it spits out a number for how well Google thinks the website renders in your browser, both on mobile and on desktop. And the reason that no- that number matters is they're, they're measuring what they consider the best practices are for developing mobile and desktop websites. They have put a ton of research into determining what is a good experience and a bad experience. And the reason it's germane to the discussion is that Google actually will punish your website in search engine results if the Google PageSpeed Insights number is not good. So let's say that I Google, you know, website development Los Angeles. And as part of that ranking algorithm, Google is going to look at, well, how well does this page actually perform and adjust where it appears uh, in the, the rankings based on that. They do a similar thing also with whether the site is HTTPS or not. You will get a little bit of a boost if your site is implementing HTTPS. Same thing with mobile friendly or not your site will get punished to an extent if it is not a what Google considers to be a mobile friendly site. So Google is uh, essentially saying, well, we know a ton about this space. We have done an incredible amount of work figuring out uh, what is important for a website to be optimized. And we're going to kind of push developers to what we think they should be doing by adjusting their search results based on that. Uh, and those are three areas that a lot of people don't know or aren't familiar with, that your how, fa- how fast your page loads, whether it's mobile friendly or not, and whether it's HTTPS or not, can definitely impact your SEO and your search engine results page. I think a lot of people have a very elementary view on what SEO encompasses. You know, we think it's like, the meta tags and and the titles and the h1s but in fact the world of seo is extremely broad because the notion of relevance is speaking not only to just the raw content but to a prospective user search engine users experience of that content whether it's fast whether it's secure whether it's timely and so there's there's certainly a lot you know that covers a lot of of ground we have to not only make our content good but make it accessible and and make the experience good in order for a search engine to think that 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 content is of of quality and it's relevant. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Google became Google because they returned good search results. People would go to, uh, you know, back in the day, AltaVista was, you know, the search engine of choice. 
and Google just came along and, and kind of blew the doors off of them. And the reason why they succeeded is people would type stuff into Google and it would find stuff that they wanted. And Google is factoring into what people want as a website that responds quickly. And that is especially important mobile sites. The average person, I think uh, the stat is that if your website takes more than three seconds to load on mobile, you lose 30% of the people. They just, yeah, something like that. you know, they just go back and they say, forget it. I'm not going to bother with it. And Google is also saying that, well, you know, what people really want is a secure website from a trusted entity, uh, which is what HTTPS is all about. You know, you actually have to register somewhere, get an SSL certificate and tell someone that you're an actual legitimate thing. And these are all things that Google says, well, you know, when people are searching for something, we think that this factors into what they want, at least a little bit. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of genius there on the part of these search engines for realizing that what we're looking for isn't necessarily what we're typing into the search box. <laughs> and and there's so much uh, intelligence now to be able to predict, you know, what is really relevant even before and beyond I realize that something is relevant to me. You know, a search engine knows enough about me and enough about the internet. They can give me even more relevant results than I can imagine for myself. So be secure, be fast. What are, what are other best practices and principles that we should be thinking of when we're building our sites. So some other basic things that you want to do. The title tag actually counts a lot. You don't want to have a title tag that just says something like homepage, you know, bobstools.com. You want to have an actual descriptive title. And they generally, Google says, well, you know, about 70 characters is about the length that they want. So they want something concise. But if you have a website where your homepage just says homepage on it, you're certainly hurting yourself from an SEO point of view. Another important tag is the... SEO description tag, the meta, SEO meta description tag. That is a, a very important tag to Google and the other search engines. And, you know, in, in, in the course of this discussion, I'm just going to use Google <laughs> as a search engine. Uh, it's incredibly dominant. And additionally, all of the other search engines, Bing, Yahoo, etc., they follow Google's, le- Google's lead to an extent. So we might as well just talk about Google. But the, uh, the meta description tag is very important. Um, should be about 170 characters. They want it to be more than 60 characters and less than 170 uh, or thereabouts. And you really want to have something that describes uniquely what is on the page that Google is looking at. Well, in general, all of this stuff, the title tag, the description tag, you don't want to repeat the same thing on every single page that you have because you're essentially telling Google, well, all this stuff is the same. So you really want to have a unique title and a unique description on all of your pages. Another tag that used to be uh, incredibly important is the SEO, the keywords tag. Interestingly enough, Google does not even look at the keywords tag at all anymore. I think they did that in part because that was how a lot of these SEO companies were attempting to game the system by just cramming it with uh, all sorts of keywords to boost its visibility. Google completely ignores the SEO keywords field. Bing actually pays attention to it, and I think Yahoo pays attention to it as well. But the keywords field, surprisingly, is just not really that important because Google ignores it. And I think that's something that you know a decent number of people are, are not aware of. And to get back to the meta description tag, that also, that verbiage is something that Google will very often use on the search engine results page. So when someone searches, your site hopefully is on the front page, they're going to most of the time have an excerpt from the SEO description tag up there. And what determines whether they're actually going to use that or not is whether it's a decent description. Is it about the length that it should be? Does it describe the content that is on this page? And if you follow those best practices, then you get to control the verbiage that appears on the search engine results page. It's actually the same for the uh, the title tag. A lot of people don't realize that Google will actually rewrite your site title tag for you if it doesn't think that it's good enough. <laughs> huh. So if you just have, you know, like a short little title tag and, you know, Google will actually look at what is on your page and try to find something that it thinks is better and present that to the user. So that's another good reason to follow best practices and, and have decent SEO titles. All right. So be fast, be secure. Your content should be unique. Your title and your meta tags should be representative of the content. Not too short, not too long. What about the social networks and all the, uh, the open graph stuff? How does that factor in? 
Sure. So first of all, let's touch on Twitter first because it's really quick and easy. Twitter implemented something called Twitter cards that all you need to do is embed a few meta tags in your website. And then if someone tweets a link to your website, they will act, you will actually be able to attach your own branding to their tweet. On the desktop, it will uh, have a little link that says, uh, I think it's view more. Um, on mobile, a lot of times it just shows it by default. But for instance, let's say you're selling land online. If you embed the, the right Twitter card tags, when someone tweets a link to one of your land listing pages, you can show a nice image of the land attached to their tweet, as well as a link to your site and a description of the piece of land. So it's it's amazing to me that more people are not using Twitter cards because it essentially allows you to attach your branding anytime anyone is talking about your stuff, <laughs> which is great, you know. Someone tweets a, a, a link about the Craft Podcast, you can have the logo show up as well as your own uh, name and description that will be attached to their tweet that everyone else will see. So that's a, a pretty fantastic thing. Facebook implements something called Open Graph, which is a RDFA. Uh, it's basically just a way of describing uh, the content that is on the pages. And I- I'm not going to get too in-depth about what Facebook does with Open Graph, but essentially they are uh, building what's called a knowledge graph, which is it lets you describe what a piece of information is and how it relates to other things. And it is sort of similar to Twitter cards in that if you implement the open graph tags, you can control what is going to be displayed when someone shares a link to your website on Facebook. There, there definitely is more to it than that because... Facebook lets you do a ton of stuff with Open Graph, but I think that's probably the most common use case that people are interested in. You know, hey, if someone shares a link to my website on Facebook, I want to show my nice logo or my picture of the product that I'm selling, and I want to have my description attached to the link that is on there. And just by embedding those tags in your pages, you can have that show up on on Facebook as well. A big perspective shift for me on the topic of of like Open Graph and Twitter cards and stuff like that was realizing the extent to which social networks are becoming very big players as search engines. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we think of Google being a search engine in that I go to Google and I type in a search and it gives me results. But when we take a step back and kind of look at our lives and the way that we interact with the internet, so much of the content that is coming to us is coming to us by virtue of our participation in these social networks and who we follow and the circles that we run in. And and so just our my participation in Twitter, my looking at my Twitter timeline, my following you on Twitter, these are sort of searches in and of themselves. And so again, just the topic of SEO being so much broader than, an, than at a surface level, a social network is a search engine. Um, sure, and and that was kind of a big light bulb moment for me. Yeah, for sure, um, and it's the perfect profiling tool, right? So you know, obviously, uh, marketers as well as people count the recommendations of their friends a lot, so it kind of makes sense. Um, and uh, there there are a bunch of other tags that are good and useful to have on your site. You want to have a, a, a Meta Canonical. Uh, URL tag that basically just uh, says, Google, this is the actual canonical reference for this particular page. So you might have content that appears at different URLs and you can point them all back to the one master page that it should be on. There's a Google Publisher tag and, and there are a whole bunch of other useful tags that you probably would want. Yes, it's canonical. <laughs> yes, you pronounce it canonical. <laughs> Rog is just correcting me in uh, VIM. Yes, it's canonical is the correct way to pronounce it. And don't edit this out, okay? It'll be good. Um, <laughs> okay. And and there, there are a ton of other tags that you can and probably should be putting in there. But I really kind of wanted to shift the focus to talking about something that I think a lot of people have not heard of, even if they are doing some of the SEO things that we have already talked about. And that is something called JSON-LD. Is that Uh, the same as structured data? It is. It falls under the broad umbrella of structured data. Most web developers are familiar with JSON, JavaScript object uh, notation, and the LD just stands for linked data. To look at this from a big picture point of view, something, we've got a whole bunch of web pages out there. And I've got a website that has the headline avatar. So Google comes to the page, it looks at it, and it says, oh, this is a headline. It must be important. But it doesn't know whether we're talking about Avatar the movie or 
you know, an avatar in, in a game or any number of other contexts. And that's something that humans are really good about is contextual information and, and understanding the context that makes sense. But computers are not very good at that. It will be able to tell that, okay, th- this is a, a headline that says avatar and it links to this page, but it doesn't really know what it is. And we get into the then the broader topic of the what's called the semantic web. And it's just a fancy way of saying, well, we want to be not just show humans information on this page. We want to be able to tell computers what this page is really about. When I put an image up on the page, I want to be able to tell Google, this is this person or this is this product instead of leaving it to Google to guess. And I think that's probably the the best way to, in a simplistic way, describe what the semantic web is. It's a way to describe what the content on the page is instead of leaving it to Google to figure out what the content is. So if you, you think about it, if you have a web page and it has some articles on there and maybe the articles are a series, without any kind of semantic information, Google isn't really going to know any of this stuff. It's not going to know the relationship of one article to another or the author and who that is, etc., etc. And that's what the semantic web is about. It's a way of telling Google what all this stuff is and, and how everything is connected. And that's actually how Google works. So Google has a knowledge graph, which is analogous to what Facebook does with, with their open graph, that ha- you can think of um, each web page as a little node on that graph. And it tries to figure out the connections between the nodes. It tries to figure out, okay, um, there's a picture of John on this page. How does th- who is John? Who does he relate to? Or there's a product on the page. Where is this product sold? Are there other things related to it? That type of stuff. And that's where JSON-LD and some of these other structured data schemas come into the picture. For instance, something that we talked about earlier, the RDFA, OpenGraph is a form of RDFA, where it is a way that you can describe what is actually on this page instead of Facebook having to try and figure it out. People are, some people are reasonably familiar with doing micro data. And basically what that is, is you will have, let's say you've got an address on a web page. The address is just sitting there. Yeah, Google is pretty smart and maybe it will be able to figure out what an address is, but you can add tags to it that will tell Google, you know, hey, this is actually something else. This is this is an address. This is the street address part of this address. Uh, this is the company that this address is related to. And that really helps Google to figure out exactly what this stuff is. So, uh, Rog, are you familiar with, with doing this type of thing? You might have like a div, and then you say item scope, and then you say item type equals, and then a URL with, you know, postal address. Have you, have you done anything with that at all? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like, there was uh, sort of a micro formats craze. Yes. You know, once upon a time. And and I did do a lot of that. A bunch of like uh, events and dates and addresses and trying to give them all their, their right micro formats. And then I think... As Google got smarter, I think a lot of us sort of got lazy about doing that. And we said, well, <laughs> yeah, we don't need to put in the microformats because Google knows what an address is because Google's smarter about finding addresses than I am. But you're telling right. me it's still a thing. It's still it, it's, relevant it's to definitely, yeah, it's definitely still a thing. Way. Yeah, it's, it's definitely still a thing, um, especially when you are describing more complicated relationships that, you know, maybe Google won't really realistically be able to figure out. But the the way that you would mark, and, you know, just a a basic point, if you're offering content on your site, why would you want to leave it up to Google to hopefully get it right? You know, if it's not that difficult, let's tell it what we want it to be and what it really is so that there's no ambiguity and to ensure that um, it is actually going to be able to figure it out. So the thing about microformats and microdata that sucks is it's actually intertwined with your HTML code. You would do div, item scope, item type equals whatever, and that is defining the vocabulary of the stuff that's contained within it. And then you would say something like link item prop equals URL, and you would list the URL, that type of thing. What sucks about that is when you 
start moving your HTML around, then maybe you're breaking your microdata, you know? And whoever is actually building the HTML also has to be the one to put the SEO stuff in, which isn't always that optimal either. And there are lots of cases where you have, or you want to have, some kind of semantic information about what a page or a thing is about, but it may not actually be displayed on that web page. Then you have to you have to make, you know, divs that uh, that don't show, and or you just use item prop, prop uh, content equals whatever. But the, the main thing that really sucks about the micro formats is how intertwined they are with the HTML. And it makes it really ugly to edit and it, it is kind of cumbersome to deal with. And that's really where JSONLD comes in. If you go to a website called schema.org, um, you'll be able to see what is essentially a vocabulary of a ton of different things. And the vocabulary gives everyone a common basis for talking about what certain objects are. For instance, without context, if we just had, you know, item prop equals name, we wouldn't know if that's a person's name or if that's uh, the name of a product or exactly what it is. Schema.org defines a hierarchical hierarchical list of different types of objects and what their properties are, and then everyone is on the same page in terms of, well, this is a business, this is a website, here are the, the various properties of that thing. And you can then use that to put JSONLD into your HTML page, and Google will read it the same way that it will read uh, the microformat and microdata markup. But the key is that it's entirely separate. It's sitting in its own little script tag, which gets ignored uh, by browsers for the purpose of rendering. But Google and other search engines pick it up and, and read it just the same way that they do the microdata. And the really cool thing about that is then you can do things programmatically with it. You can actually have, you know, the, the CMS can spit out the JSONLD for you, and it's not going to be intertwined with your HTML markup, for instance. That sounds like a much more elegant way to incorporate all of these best practices, is if there's just kind of a separate bit of content that is specifically designed to be machine-readable that gives a search engine exactly what it's looking for in terms of what the content is about and what it is semantically and what it's related to, and that can all just be separate from what the the user consumes. So that, that is extremely promising and sounds very elegant. How then do I, you know, because in order for this to work, Um, Ultimately, it's going to be in the hands of content editors, right? In order for it to stay fresh and, and stay up to date and stay correct, it's the content editors of our sites who are managing the content in the CMS who are ultimately going to have to be generating all of this, but they don't know anything about JSONLD. So we should probably talk about how do we go about implementing these best practices in our sites in a way that is user-friendly. So, I mean, we're all building with craft CMS. So craft out of the box, how do you go about hitting all of these kind of, you know, ticking off the boxes on this list of best practices using crafts functionality? Well, that's, that's exactly what I originally did is, you know, every, every site that I would come up with, I would make a new field group called, called Meta or SEO Meta actually is usually what I would call it. And I would add, you know, a ton of fields to that. I would add fields for the title, the description, keywords, social media sites, a whole ton of that kind of thing. And then you just code in your templates exactly the way that you would any other craft thing. You know, you just do... Uh, and I would I would put these in globals, and then I would add the field sets to my entries as well, so that you know each entry could have its own meta fields, and then each section could have its own meta fields, and then I would have a global set of these fields. And the way that I would do it is I would have them cascade, right? So at the very least, all of these SEO settings would be set to whatever I set the site-wide stuff to be. And then if there was a section-specific meta fields, then I would use that in preference over the the site global meta fields and then if there if there was content in the fields that were attached to entries i would use that in preference over that so it kind of cascades down into specific i can never say this word specificity there we go so that the seo meta is always as specific as possible because again getting back to best practices you don't want the title description etc to be the same on every page and you do want it to be representative of what is really on that page and that's a way that you can implement this stuff right out of the box and you can do that with json ld too i mean there's nothing preventing you from putting a a script tag of the type json ld into your templates and then using the the various global 
levels and uh, and entry fields uh, to build that up into any of the object types that are defined on on schema.org. And I, I will say that I was like you. I, I used to just implement all the microdata stuff, and you know, at some point, you just go, "This sucks." <laughs> <laughs> you know, having to intertwine everything and, and having it get broken when they move out. And it was in mid-2014 uh, that Google officially adopted JSON-LD as a way to define this microdata. I was extremely happy and, and moved over and started doing it that way. It is is much, much cleaner to code. So Craft obviously gives us the ability to set up all of the fields and the field layouts in order to be able to have this content be editable by authors so that it stays up to date. But trying to do it with just individual native fields that get set up on every new site can get pretty laborious. There's just a lot of checkpoints to hit, and so there's just a lot of fields that have right. to get, get set up and populated. But I guess you, in, in answer to that... For your own needs, just released a plugin called SEOmatic. Can you can you talk about the the genesis of that project? Yeah, I was about to say, if only someone made a plugin that would do this for me. But no, yeah, uh, I I actually the genesis of that project is I was getting sick of setting all of this stuff up manually. But I, I do want to preface this by the fact that you can do all this stuff manually. There's no there's no reason you can't. Um, but it is kind of laborious to set everything up, and then you have to have all the the template codes, you know, the template code uh, to appropriately override. And it also kind of intertwines your page that you're designing and building with the SEO stuff in a little bit of a non-helpful way, in a way that it's it's kind of always in the way when you're doing it. And that's that's why I uh, began work on the SEOmatic plugin. I had used SEO Lite for Expression Engine back in the day, and I, I had looked around uh, at the craft landscape to see if there was anything out there that, you know, my, my minimum bar was I wanted something that could do everything I was doing already. Right, Because if it couldn't do everything I was doing already, I just wasn't interested because I didn't want to lower the bar just to be lazy <laughs> and have something handle it for me. So, you know, that's why I decided to, to write SEOmatic uh, is to make it easier for me that when I set up a new site, I'm not creating all this stuff from scratch. I don't have to deal with uh, seeing I can compartmentalize all of the SEO stuff away in a box and know that it is handled and, and done properly. I mean, that's really why I, I began working on it. And what is the feature set of SEOmatic? Like, how far does it go in covering all of this, all of these different pieces of information? It, it's pretty ridiculous. It covers just about everything. There, there are a few things that it doesn't do, specifically providing different images for Twitter versus different images for, for Facebook, but I'm working on that. But it provides a way for you to set up your your global meta for your site it allows you and that is whatever the the default should be and then you also set up your site identity who owns the site and you set up all the social media accounts and you set up the site creator information which i think is kind of cool for people in in the craft community and what it does is you know because we're all building sites it gives you a really way a really good way to attribute the fact that you know you made this site and this is who you are and it provides even uh, the humans.txt standard which is a way of non-intrusively talking about the the people and and the team that went into actually creating the site and it also does meta on a per template basis there's also an seomatic field type that you can attach to entries that will give you fields for you know all this stuff the title the description the keywords the image that can be on a per entry basis and it it really just does a ton of stuff it implements just about every meta tag under the sun it does some pretty involved json ld structures for designating who the website is who created it who owns it as well as the the corporation or entity behind the website and i you know again my bar was to do at least as much as i was doing already and i reached that and i've got some really good feedback from the community and i'm going to be continuing to kind of work on it and make it better cool the other big player as seo plugins go um is barrel strength design also has their sprout seo plugin that's part of their kind of broader seo suite and i think the sprout product actually is aimed a bit more broadly because it it hits not just it has a field type for the meta tag 
tags and the the social graph content and stuff but it also i think tries to to hit some other ancillary workflows that surround seo like generating an xml sitemap automatically yep. with different like priority rankings and and refresh timelines per section and it has a redirect manager so like if you change a slug of an entry you can stick a redirect into the cms to redirect from an old address to a new address and so there's a lot of like other sort of tasks that it hits what i like about seomatic is that it that it does the json ld stuff and so if, if i use uh, sprout seo i have the benefit of getting my sitemap generated i have kind of some of these other helpers but i still have to generate the json ld myself but sprout seo is also a pretty nice product that that fits in also nicely with the other sprout business suite stuff so if you're using other sprout add-ons for craft then then sprout seo is pretty nice yeah, and um, I, I actually looked because, and that's something that we should have mentioned uh, vis a vis uh, SEO is that having a sitemap is also an important and good thing. I, I looked into creating one, uh, a sitemap module for SEO Matic, and I kind of looked around and there were some really good sitemap plugins already, some of which are free, uh, some of which are not. But I really, at least for now, I want to keep SEO Matic incredibly focused on being really, really good at generating the SEO information. It's possible possible that I might do something with the, the sitemap stuff down the road, but really what I was focused on was coming up with something that does a really, really good job generating the SEO tags for you. Yeah, well, I think it speaks uh, well, honestly, to our community, to the just growth and maturity of our relatively young community, that there are lots of plugin authors hitting different SEO functionality from different angles. Yep. And so as a developer user, I have a lot of really high quality choices when I'm looking to implement some of this stuff. Uh, I have some really high quality choices that give me a good jump start, depending on kind of my my use case and, and how my customers want to see things in the, the yep. control panel and how I want to set up the templates. So so that's really cool. So since we're talking about you know our customers in all of this, our clients, the people who are using our sites, I think it's important we should also kind of talk about how do we sell this to clients that we're developing for? How do we make the importance of this known and, and really stress that good SEO practice needs to be part of the process of developing a website? And how do we assign value to that, you know, so that, so that a client is willing to invest in our time to do all of these things. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's important to look at the big picture and why are we doing this? So our client came to us to build a website. Presumably they have a product or service that they want people to know about. And as I mentioned before, it's you can have the best thing in the world. If no one knows about it, it's it's not gonna, going to really help you. And implementing a decent SEO strategy, um, I think, is super important because we want to do a excellent job creating a site for them, but we also want people to know about it, both for their business and, and also for spending all the time and work to, to make this thing. We want people to be enjoying it and whatever the, the product or service is that uh, we've been contracted to, to build a website for. For. And I, I, you know, I've worked with uh, a number of agencies. It is not uh, atypical for agencies to have people on staff that specialize in SEO. And if SEO is added to the uh, list of things that's going to be done, you know, the, the the price of the the price of the project definitely goes up. I've even seen I've even seen it double. <laughs> you know, hmm. depending on what exactly the project is, and that kind of underscores how important uh, it is because we again we do want to let people know. About about the product or service that the the website is about, and I think it's a pretty easy sell. You know, maybe the <laughs> the dollar amount is another matter, but it's a pretty easy sell to clients when you say, look, you know, you you want to do the best that you possibly can to let people know about your product or service. And I, you know, that's again one of the reasons I created SEOmatic is it's a standard part of everything that I do because I think it is that important to any website uh, that gets built that you have a decent SEO base on it. And having something that you can just throw in there and do some work to enter relevant information and then provide it to your client is, I, I think, super valuable. But I think that it is part of the picture of developing a website that it, it should be a given. And I realize that not all budgets may may fit that. But I think it's, you know, easily, you know, if we're looking at how important various things are for the website, you know, we're, we're talking about easily, you know, 30% is, you know, 
how well are people going to be able to find this thing once we've made it? From my own experience, I find it to be a much easier sell to younger business owners and younger project managers and younger clients who themselves are kind of self-aware that so much of what they consume and have visibility on is coming to them through search engines and, and social networks. And so I think my challenge when I, especially when I am working with clients who are very good at their own business, but are not deeply immersed right. in the world of social media or don't use search engines as heavily is demonstrating to them how quickly this is becoming all important. It seems like there was a while where you could sort of skirt by and get away with mediocre SEO. And mm-hmm. that time is just very, very rapidly coming to an end. And, and so it's kind of incumbent on us as, as developers to get up to speed, but also to communicate and demonstrate just by statistics and by, by cultural demonstration, just how quickly sure. the, this landscape is changing. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think that, um, and again, I, I want to make sure that I'm clear that um, any kind of SEO optimization is not a silver bullet, right? It's not magically going to make them super popular, but a way that you can let clients understand the importance of it is uh, you can, you know, they're going to be very particular about the images and the text and all that kind of stuff that is on their web page represents them the way they want to be represented. I would talk about the SEO from the point of view of, okay, we did a good job representing um, your web page to people that are coming to see it. What the SEO really lets us do is represent the web page to Google and to other uh, search engines so they can know. Uh, what the page is. Uh, So it's much more likely that they're going to be able to give relevant results. And I think when you show someone that your message, your branding can be attached to any tweet or any post on Facebook, you know, people, even if they're not very tech savvy, get it. They're like, well, that's great. (laughs) You know, people are going to advertise our stuff for free. So I think the, the key is just finding a way to communicate to them in analogous terms how this can actually benefit them. And everyone wants to be on the front page of uh, Google search results when a particular thing is searched on. And doing a decent SEO strategy is just a way to give you the potential for that to happen. All right, so I have demonstrated to my client that this is important. They've invested in the time to do it well. I have tried to hit all of the best practices. I've used some good craft plugins to get a good jump start. Now, how do I tell if I'm doing it right? So there, there are lots of uh, tools out there uh, that you can use to measure it. Um, I, I use a, a tool called WooRank a lot that I, I find it very useful in giving an overall picture of exactly how well you're doing in terms of have you implemented all the best practices? Have you, what is your popularity on various social networks? How popular is your page? How many people link back to you? And uh, it gives you a whole to-do list of, of things that you could be doing. Now, Moz has a similar service called MozRank that also tries to do the same thing. And they try to measure, you know, kind of how they, they, they give you a bulleted list of all the stuff that you should be doing and how well you're doing on keyword consistency and and, and all that type of thing that, that will help you do the technical part of it. And then also give you some data on how well you're doing in terms of, you know, how popular are you on social networks and all that kind of good stuff. And the, SEMrush is another tool that a lot of people use uh, in order to monitor this stuff. I want to throw another one in there, which is a thing that I discovered recently is that Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of the other social networks have their own debuggers where if you pop in your URL, it'll show you what your URL looks like in the various contexts that it might be shared in. And so for the longest time, you know, I would make a change and wait for that change to like get pushed to a staging server. And then I would go manually share a link, you know, on Facebook to see what it looked like. And then I realized that that all these social networks have these debuggers that that show you very nicely all of the contexts that a thing could be shared in and what it looks like. Uh, And then I felt like a real dummy. So the Facebook, the Twitter debuggers, those are great Mm -hmm. um, as well. Yeah, so three things about that. One is... in SEOmatic, if you click on preview, it will show you what it's going to look like. Cool. In in Google, uh, in Facebook, in Twitter, you know, it will show you in context what your stuff is going to look like when it's displayed there. Um, but yeah, the the tools that. Um, there's a Twitter card validator, which gives you a preview of what this stuff is going to look like. Um, there's the uh, Facebook Open Graph debugger. And then the other tool that uh, we didn't touch upon is uh, Google, Google Structured Data Testing Tool. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And if you use that, it will show you what the page looks like to Google. Uh, that's the way I explain it to clients that, you know, when Google scrapes this page, this is what it sees. And it will, if you have microdata embedded in there, like some of the JSON-LD stuff that I've talked about, it will pop up in there and it will say, this is a website, this is a corporation, this is a product. And you'll be able to, to see exactly how Google is scraping and seeing all the, uh, all the luscious metadata that you've put on your site. Well, and I guess you also mentioned the Google PageSpeed Insights, which I think is a, a tool that a lot of us use just to improve the performance and test the performance of sites. But it is good for us to know that that, that weighs heavily on our search engine optimization as well. I wouldn't say heavily. It's a small factor. It's probably about the same factor as um, HTTPS or not. But I think the important thing to keep in mind when you're using any of these tools that, that uh, you know, will give you a metric, you're not just trying to make your site so it scores well on these tests. It, you know, that's kind of like the big controversy in education about, you know, teaching kids to take tests. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not what we're going for. The reason why we're going for good scores on this stuff is because some really smart people have determined that this stuff matters to the end user who's going to be seeing it. And it also matters to the search engines that are going to be picking out whether to display your results or not. You know, all of that said, when you sit down with a client and you run the website that you built for them, you show them the nice website, you load it in the web browser, everything's great. Then you run it in Google PageSpeed Insights and it gets a great score and you show them that their competition is getting a lousy score. Well, people hmm. get that. People get that. Um, and they see, you know, Google's name is on it. They know Google. They know they know Google is huge, and it does make a uh, a big impression on people. I mean, I've had clients that are not tech savvy, but are very satisfied when they look at the finished web page and it looks good. And then we run it through Google PageSpeed Insights, and it's scoring a 96, you know, for mobile and desktop. And we show them that you know the restaurant down the street that they compete with is scoring a 54, you know. And people like that. They're like, wow, okay, we're better than they are. And some entity that has some clout to it is telling us that we're better than they are. Yeah, because you gotta you gotta understand that a lot of non technical people have no way of knowing whether you actually did a good job on their website or not. Um, so having an, an impartial entity like like Google saying, "Hey, these guys did a really good job," is meaningful. And the same goes for the other things that you can run it through. I I sit down with my clients and I show them the results from from Google PageSpeed Insights, from GT Metrics from the Twitter card stuff so I can say hey look whenever you whenever someone tweets something this is what gets attached to it uh, and the same thing with with open graph and the same thing with the Google structured data testing tool I think it's useful to be able to show your clients the value below the surface that you have implemented and and when you show that to them relative to companies they compete with they get it uh, and they get that you did an incredible job on on their project. Yeah, I mean that is a happy feeling, you know, when uh, you run your your site through PageSpeed and uh, all of the indicators are green. You know, it's sort of like when you run a, a big bevy of unit tests on a piece of software, and you know all your tests come yeah. back green. Like right, that same right. sort of you know happy feeling uh, I have started associating with things like getting a good PageSpeed score or getting a good score in SEM Rush or something like that. So and uh, and I think you know again it's important to note that we're not doing it to get a good. score score right right we want to get we want to get a good score because it's meaningful uh it's meaningful that you have a good score in these various things you know whether it's a, a tool like woo rank that measures popularity or google page speed site insights or, or whatever it, it just tells us that we are doing a pretty good job from a best practices point of view and you know the clients don't have to understand all the technical things that you did in order to make this happen but they definitely will understand when you show them the results of these impartial sites that are evaluating objectively evaluating the work that you did uh, and again especially when you show them in comparison to their competition I, I found it to be uh, a very very useful tool in helping clients understand why their money was well spent do implementing this SEO or why their money was well spent making their site perform really well yeah. you know it, it because otherwise they'd have no idea otherwise they would just be looking at the website and say oh that looks good okay <laughs> you know so we should start to wrap up and I think that that this is is a good spot to wrap up because um, we've sort of ended on what is 
my biggest takeaway, both in talking to you and in my own journey of starting to dive deep into this stuff, is that SEO is so much bigger than keywords and and links. You know, it encompasses the entirety of a prospective customer's experience of your content on your website, Mm -hmm. on your website, on a phone, in social media, you know, making your your content fast and accessible and easy to consume and easy to find and well-structured is kind of the nature of, of SEO. And so that perspective shift has been has been very very valuable that like that's what has has enabled me to start taking on some of this uh this deeper work is is just understanding that seo is that broad and and that all of these things are are important thanks for teaching us about the structured uh data um i guess Mm -hmm. um you know we're used to thinking about things like inbound links Mm -hmm. as a way of associating you know one bit of content with with another and and it's cool that there is an elegant way to to tell a search engine more objectively more specifically how one thing is is associated with with another a way to give google information that doesn't have to guess about that's definitely the topic that i am am most excited about digging deeper into is is the structured data stuff the json ld mm-hmm. i feel yeah, like it's really it's it's really cool and it's really fun. I mean, honestly, you know, like adding the the microdata stuff, uh, the way you had to intertwine it with HTML, at least for me, was really painful. Um, doing the JSON LD stuff seems quite elegant, uh, and I like it quite a bit. You're absolutely right that SEO is an incredibly broad topic. We would bore everyone to tears, but we could do a podcast about it, you know, <laughs> for the entire year, you know, every month, and we would still be talking about it. But really, what it boils down to is best practices. You know, we want to implement the best practices so that we're visible on social networks, so that the website performs well, so that it appears in the search rankings, so that it's relevant to what person is searching for, our, our site comes up. Uh, and I, I really do think that you can boil uh, all of this stuff down to, you know, we want to be making the best possible sites we can. And SEO is definitely part of the, the best practices. I feel like we just put out so many like buzzwords and names of things <laughs> that everybody needs to go learn. I definitely am going to get you to give me a batch of links that we can put in the show notes to where we can go to find all of the stuff that we just mentioned so briefly. I, for my own part, I have found that just by looking at products like SEOmatic and Sprout SEO, looking in the documentation for these plugins, looking at how they, they behave and the kind of stuff they're doing, that alone has been immensely valuable <laughs> to me just in in associating myself with the vocabulary that I need to that I need to be familiar with in order yeah. to make smart recommendations about these things to my clients and you know carry them through in implementation but yeah for uh, sure I mean I, I, I 100% agree with that I mean I think that you know I think that SEOmatic is a great tool and it saves me a ton of time but I think one of the most valuable things about it is that it is distilling you know a lot of what I've learned about what works uh, in terms of SEO. And it says, okay, here's the kind of stuff you should be doing. And that's also the value that tools like WooRank and, and MozRank and SEMrush are, are useful to, is they give you kind of a an idea of what the best practices are and what you should be doing. And they're super useful from that point of view. So speaking of being searchable and findable, where can we find you? <laughs> you, can, you can go to my website that doesn't exist. <laughs> Well, it exists, but it's nothing exciting. Uh, NYStudio107.com. I, I'm not uh, going to say what it is, but I've been there, and I actually think it's basically the best website on the internet. <laughs> and you can also find me on GitHub, uh, github.com, NYStudio107. Same thing on Twitter, uh, NYStudio107. And you'll probably find me lurking in the Slack, uh, or the Craft CMS Slack. Uh, the name I use on there is Kalwat, K. H A L W A T. Of course, in the list on Slack, you just appear to us as Andrew Welch. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. Not on mine. Oh. <laughs> well, to me, you look like Andrew Welch. Oh, that takes all the fun out of it. So, Andrew Welch, thank you for, uh, for coming on the podcast and teaching us about SEO. Can't wait to have you back to do a full episode just on json ld maybe once we've had time to to digest all this stuff um you can find the craft podcast online at craftpodcast.com search us on itunes and when you do please leave us a nice rating that helps us a ton you can tweet us at craft podcast or email us hello at craftpodcast.com Go ye forth, build your things, make them searchable, findable, nicely structured. 
Thanks, Andrew, for being with us. We will see you all next time.